0: Okay, if you'd like to draw your conversations to a close. As we begin, I wonder, does anyone have a, a motto for life? A kind of a short statement, say, this is my motto for life. Go on. Uh, you're invincible to God calls you home. You're invincible till God calls you home. Excellent. Any other any other mottos? Be prepared. Be prepared. Good. Uh, anyone from this block? We've had one from over here. Oh, go on, Phil. I can see you're itching the to FDA tell us. And rose this and is back wow. there we go. A few people getting some good ideas here. Shirley-Ann, yeah? <laughs> Excellent. Some good motto. Anyway, I, I don't want this, this block to be underrepresented. Underrepresented. There we go. Anyone from this block have a, a motto they want to share? Guys, you need to be listening to the rest of over here. When well, we have over coffee, just go and talk to some of these people and say, what is your motto for life? Um, we are now kind of rushing towards the end of, of January, and... Over the, the beginning of a new year, often you kind of have a, a motto for this year. Like, so, this year is the year that I'm going to get fit. 2016 is the year that I'm going to get fit. Or 2016 is the year I'm going to sort out my finances. Or 2016 is going to be the year which I fully get on top of life. We begin January with all these hopes and dreams. Normally, as we get to around this stage, our motto for life is, is survive. We just want to get through today, this week, this month. Um, we have these grand ideas. Is anyone still keeping their New Year's resolutions? Graham, good work. What was your New Year's resolution that you're keeping? Uh, cycle, five cycle five miles away. Cycle five miles away. Very good. And by the end of the week, you'll be 35 miles away. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 um, but often we do... We do Talk to each other and say, oh, I'm so tired. Often at the beginning of the day, even today, walking, you might be, how are you? Tired, I've just woken up. It's been a a difficult morning. And then as we we finish, you say, how are you doing? Oh, good, I'm, I'm getting ready for lunch. And then, and then you have lunch, and there's the kind of the post-lunch lull, and then you have the. Oh, I was getting near the end of the day, and so you never really hit peak performance in a day. Um, you find that also throughout the week, You're like how are you? Oh, it's, you know, it's the start of the week, so I'm a bit tired, or you need to get through Wednesday, and there's the end of the week. You're kind of winding down for the end of the week. Same, same for the school term as well. Often you talk, oh, how are the kids doing? Oh, fine, you know, start of term, so they're a bit tired, or it's the middle of term, so they're a bit tired, or it's the end. End of term and so they're a bit tired. Um, I think there's probably one hour on a Wednesday morning in May and that is your optimum time. <laughs> if you miss it this year, you've only got another year to wait until your, your peak performance. So um, we may have mottos and often the reality is um, motto is to survive. Just who would like one more moment on the motto theme? Okay, anyone know the motto of wait, let me get this right, the royal coat of arms. Who knows the motto at the bottom of the royal coat of arms? I think it's Oni Mali Pons. Is what? Oni Ah, you know what? That isn't the one I'm going for, but that is on there as well. You get an extra bonus point. So you've got the one going round here which you can't fully see, the Oni I've written down over here. Oni Mali Maliponce. This part, do you know what it means? Evil to him who evil thinks. Which apparently uh, was directed against anyone who should oppose the king's design on the French crown. Um, Anyone else can spot the other motto on there? Go on, Becky. You eat. Do you know what it means? God and my right. Very good. Um, God and my right. Apparently, it was a battle cry. So if you are on the search for a motto for this year, there's a couple of options there for you. Um, But we are looking this morning about Paul's motto for life. In the the passage we're in, we're in Philippians. Um, In a moment we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, page 691, so you can start finding it if you like. Um, We're in this series on Philippians and looking at a joy in all things. And today we're looking at joyful living and dying. Central to this is Paul's motto, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we're going to be exploring some of this this morning, where we may be feeling this morning our motto is just to survive. Paul's is to live is Christ and to die is gain. So page 691, reading from Philippians 1 and chapter 18, the second half of chapter 18. Verse 18. See, it's kind of still, it's heading towards lunchtime, so I'm not on my peak. Um, end of verse 18, chapter 1. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your thoughts and that with the help of the spirit of Christ... Okay, I'm going to start that again. See, it is dangerously close, close to lunch, isn't it? Verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. your presence here today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that this morning that we'll be in a place to to hear it, to apply it, and to live in the good of it. Lord, we pray when you be present here as we look to what you would say to us today. Amen. Amen. So... Whichever kind of motto you may live, even if you are just surviving moment to moment and just wanting to get through the day without really any thought to what's happening this week, um, next month, next year, we'll all have those times that cause us to stop and think, what is life all about? What is life all about? It may be the death of a loved one. It may be an accident that nearly costs your life. It may be a health scare. For me, I've had two particularly memorable moments like this. Many of you will know I have a health condition called cystic fibrosis, which affects the lungs and digestive system. And so growing up, regularly going to hospitals, and by God's grace, I've known a remarkable amount of health. Um, but I do remember a time that as a teenager having a particularly bad chest infection and thinking, it's possible, may even be likely that I may die during the night. And I remember having that thought and then thinking, I'm okay with that. I thought I was remarkably at peace. Whatever happens, I was fairly close with with Paul, what he is saying. Whatever happens, whether live or die, there's perfect peace. And then it's been on a few years. I was coming close to 30. And when growing up, uh, life expectancy for people with CF was around 30. And so in my mind, there was this... Um, impending kind of age, age 30, that's when maybe time is up. And I guess unexpectedly for me, there was a time of of heightened anxiety. I'd always been fairly at peace. But why then would I, at at this age, have more anxiety about the the prospect of of death? Well, on reflection, I think part of the reason was I had more responsibility. I was a husband. I was a father. I was leading a church. There was the house to look after, finances, things to be in order. None of these things, when you're a teenager, even enter your mind. It's important to see that these things aren't wrong. But these can cause us to be distracted from Jesus. Here in this room, we may have other things that remind us that life is fragile. But Paul helps us, whatever these things are, Not to face it with fear, but rather with boldness. We, this morning, we don't need to live under a shadow, but we need to live with joy in God. Paul says at the start of our passage, verse 18, I will rejoice. We a sense of a choice in this. I will rejoice. Whatever happens, I will rejoice. Because his joy is in God. What is it? What is it to, to know joy in God? We've been recommending a book called The Happy Christian by David Murray. This is a quote from him. He says, Christian happiness is a God-centered, God-glorifying and God-given sense of God's love that is produced by a right relationship to God in Christ and that produces loving service to God and others. So, Happiness, Christian happiness, isn't primarily about ourselves being fulfilled, doing things that we want to do, but it's rather God-centered. It's focused on him. It is God-glorifying. Paul grasped this and had an overwhelmingly positive view of things. This is not just the, a power of, of positive thinking of good thoughts. He's going to be joyful with all of his energy. This is a right response to the grace of God. It's not something that he's conjured up from inside himself. He's seen all that God has given. He enjoys life with him now. And he knows that because of what he has received, he can know in life or death, his joy is in Christ. I think that's a real challenge to us. Do we have this same view of whether life or death? There's joy in Christ. In the midst of busyness, in the midst of hard times, even in good times, how confident are we? And where is our confidence based? Well, as we explore this passage, Paul helps us to get this same mindset. Throughout the passage, we do notice firstly Paul's dilemma. There's a, a dilemma. Will Paul live or die? The decision isn't in his hands, he's in prison, he's in chains, he's He's in the hands of other people, at the mercy of others. And Paul wrestles with this question and tries to work out, what would I prefer? Would I prefer to live or die? And as we read through, we see that he's, he's genuinely stumped. He doesn't know which to choose. Verse 22 says, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. This is a, a remarkable way of thinking. And it's an insight to, to Paul's focus on life. And it's a, a challenge to us. But imagine if we go across this room, If I, would you prefer to live or die? Most of us would probably say, I'd like to live, please. If we go out on the street, we will probably get the same response, do you want to live or die? I'd quite like to live. But Paul says, "Come to Paul, would you like to live or die? You kind of think, he'd be thinking for a while, and maybe an hour or two hours later, he'd still be thinking, I, I really don't know. To, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So in, in Paul's context, it would be very easy to be overwhelmed. We've already seen some of these, th- these things responsibilities of responsibilities of family, of work, of finances. But on top of these things, Paul had, um, he was in prison. He had the pressure of these churches that he's started want to make sure that they are okay, and the sense that I need to go out and tell more people about Jesus and start more churches. It's very easy for him to be overwhelmed. Yet he remains remarkably clear-headed. How does he do this? Well, verse 19 gives us a clue. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Notice there are two very important things. The prayer, the prayers and the Spirit. These two work together. The presence of spirit is the the presence of Christ himself. So Paul is not alone in prison. Paul will not be alone in standing trial. He will not suffer and die alone. He counts on the prayers of his friends and the presence of the spirit of Christ Jesus. And so for us, this morning in in 2016, it's important for us to know that our prayers are powerful and accomplish much. We can be confident in God's sovereignty that he is in control over everything, but this shouldn't lead to apathy in prayer. We're to know that when we face difficulties, challenges, when we see other people struggling, we know that we can pray and it has a powerful effect. So a, a response is to respond in prayer. He says that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Obviously, this question of, of Paul's choice to, to live or <clears throat> to live as Christ or die his game, which should I choose? This is a very real decision, because he was facing the genuine prospect of death. Because he was in prison, how will this end? Will it be life or death? But Paul there is confidence of his deliverance. Partly this refers to his current imprisonment. Paul has been commissioned by Jesus to go to the nations to establish churches. There's still so much for him to do, and he's confident that God will find a way through. But there's also a wider view in mind. His confidence in, is in his eternal salvation. Whatever happens now doesn't face him. Whatever Caesar or anyone else decides, he actually doesn't mind. He's confident because his trust is in Christ Jesus and his eternal position is secure. There's a firm faith, whatever the outcome of his imprisonment. This situation reminds me of, of Daniel's friends. If you remember in Daniel chapter 3 there's a decree for them to to bow down and and worship something other than the one true God. And Daniel's friends refuse. I'm not going to bow down to the king. I'm not going to bow down to anything that you have made. And the the consequence is then to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And uh, this is their response to the situation. They say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is this is their response. They're confident that, that their God can deliver, that he is able to do anything, that he can take them from this uh, fiery furnace. But notice they say, but if not, but if not, We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. They will keep worshipping God, confident that he will intervene. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do what they expect, they will still trust him, they will still worship him, they will still give their lives for him. This is the same for us. We can be fully confident that God is in control, that he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't do what we expect, even if he doesn't do what we hope for, we can trust him with everything. And so we come to the heart of the dilemma in Paul's statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we've seen, there's a genuine struggle for Paul. Which one should I choose? And the statement, as Paul's writing in Greek, comes with a lot more force. It says literally, to live Christ, to die, gain. Two really short phrases that encompass the heartbeat of of Paul's mission, to live Christ, to die game. Commentating on this verse, Hansen says the absence of a verb may be filled in, in many ways. To live is Christ, is what we have in our Bibles. But it could also be to live means Christ, to live depends on Christ, to live honors Christ. He says the foundation, the center, the purpose, the direction, the power and meaning of Paul's life is Christ. Every aspect of his current existence is permeated by Christ. He's totally dependent on him. And so Paul is, is genuinely bewildered. He's not saying life is hard, life is difficult, life is painful, so it's better to go. No, he, he's saying that life now is, is good. It's, I'm with Christ. But death is gain, it's far better. Actually, he's saying life or death is, is really secondary. What is primary is that Christ is honoured. Elsewhere in Galatians 2, it says, No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this is a remarkable mindset for us to have an insight into, and one that we can share if we follow Paul's example. So how can you live like this? Well, in verse 23 it says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better Sorry, that is far better. So for us to get into Paul's way of thinking, we need to know that death is gain and is far better. Again, commentating this verse, Hansen says, To die is gain, and to die is to know the full, immediate presence of Christ. To know the full, immediate presence of Christ. He says, Death is gain, not because it is an escape from life, because, but because it leads to union with Christ, the goal of life. Death is gained not because it's an escape from life, but because it leads to union with Christ, the goal of life. Union with Christ is better by far. Part of Paul's confidence here is down to his certainty of the future. Verse 20 speaks of Paul's hope. And Hope is a very strong word. It's not a, a wishful thinking like, um, I hope Bournemouth will win the premiership, or um, I hope that we will have um, toasted sandwiches for tea. These may be your, your hopes, but there's not a firm confident in these things. Hope here speaks of a certainty. The writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus in Hebrews 6, and says, We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We can be certain. A sure and steadfast anchor. We don't need to live in, in wondering or, or worrying, but rather with eager anticipation, a joyful certainty. And a joyful certainty that the good things that happen. You may remember at, at school, the start of the holidays, you remember the beginning of the six weeks, it feels like you're never, ever going to return to school. It's such a long way away. But then a moment happens, often about halfway through, school's coming. And then a kind of a shadow descends, and it feels like the, the holidays speed up, and particularly that last week, you feel the impending doom of school returning. It's, it's not like that. It's not this, you know it's going to happen, and gosh, we've got to just hold on, I'm trying to make the most of now, because the impending doom is coming. No, it's much more a positive, excited anticipation. Again, maybe uh, when you were younger, you collected um, the tops of cereal packets and you sent away for the most amazing toy that would transform your life, or make you the most popular person at school. And so you'd be waiting day after day for the postman to arrive. There's an eager anticipation and the wonderful day when he actually did It's much more like that, a joyful anticipation of what is to come, not a sense of of fear and foreboding. Paul encourages us to look forwards, not to look backwards. A question for us this morning, is this our perspective? Again, David Murray helps us with this. He says of this when he was facing a life-threatening illness. I was totally at peace with the prospect of death. I certainly didn't get that peace from anything I've done or not done. No, I lay back, thought of Jesus on the cross, and found that his, un- his finished work was totally sufficient. He totally satisfied my conscious conscience and gave me tremendous confidence about my impending meeting with God. Perfect peace. It says in the Christian life, forward looks should outweigh backward looks forward looks should outweigh backward looks. Because no matter how wonderful the past has been, the best is still yet to come. And it's, it's difficult for us because the future seems uncertain in terms of financial provision, in, in terms of what this world might be like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. Often the, the past can feel a lot more certain, so we like to look at that. But we're to know that this Christian hope is a realistic expectation of and a joyful longing for the future good and glory based on the reliable word of God. We don't know everything that's going to happen. We don't know every single thing in which order it's going to take place, but we are confident that God is good and that we have eternal and secure hope in Christ Jesus. And just... Quickly, before we move on, I want to take a moment to think, why is it better by far? Why is death gain? In, in Revelation 19, it speaks of the hope to come as a future wedding feast of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We'll be going to a wedding on, on Friday, and there'll be a time of, of celebration. There'll be a wedding feast. And that's the picture that is used here in Revelation, a, a picture of God's people enjoying him forever. And just quickly, three C's to help us grasp why this is going to be good, why it's going to be better by far. Firstly, it involves communion with God. Christ himself is the bridegroom. The church is God's bride. And this is a picture of of God's love, of his devotion, of his desire for his people. The bride is pure, spotless, and holy. And this is achieved through the sacrifice of Jesus, not through our works or things that we have done. So we can know God, we can enjoy Him, we can enjoy perfect relationship with Him. There's communion with God. There's also celebration in God. This will be an exciting, joyful time. Think of the things that God has made. He's created the galaxies, He's created the universe, He's created the Grand Canyon, He's created the Niagara Falls, He's created the um, Great Barrier Reef, He created music, art, creativity. God made us to know him. And this is when we'll be most fulfilled. God will be among his people and we will be fully satisfied in him. There'll be communion with God. There'll be celebration in God. And then thirdly, there'll be the control of God. At the moment, we only see God's kingdom in part. At the time of the end time wedding feast, we will see the full control of God in in evidence At the moment, we can see hurtful things happening, the devastating effects of sin all around us. We see God's kingdom breaking in now, but we're to know that there will be a day when we will see his authority over all things, when every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess he is God. It is better by far because we can know communion with God, celebration in God. We can know the control of God, fullness of life, in the way God intends it. This is to be something that is enjoyed, to be anticipated, to be looked forward to. Just before we move on to how we live now, it's important for us to know how can we know this hope? How can we know that truly death is gain? Well, Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The key key question for us is, are we right with God? How can we achieve this? The Bible tells us that one thing, the one thing that causes our barrier between us and God is our sin, things that we do wrong, things that we choose to go by ourselves. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is in the same position. But the free gift is open to all. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we put our trust in him, then we can know fullness of life. It says in Colossians 1.13, Paul says that when we trust in Jesus, we've been transferred from darkness to light. And in Christ, we have the redemption of sins. We're placed inside of Christ. We're hidden in him. God doesn't see our, our sin. He doesn't see the things that we've done wrong. He only sees Christ it's like if we imagine that this, this is Jesus and um, my phone represents all the things that we've, we've done wrong. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are, we are in Christ. God doesn't see the things that we have done wrong. He only sees the righteousness, the good works of, of Jesus Christ. So we have confidence because we are in Christ. And so my encouragement, is, as Alan has said earlier, if, if you're not sure, am I, am I in Christ? Do I have this hope? We'd love to, to talk and pray with you later on. <clears throat> so Paul's mind is fixed on this, and it allows, he allows it to shape the rest of his thinking. He's fully engaged in this world, but with a, a future mindset. And, and just to note, Paul isn't like um, inanely positive the whole time. He's not like an apostolic children's TV presenter, you know, who are uh, so... So inanely cheerful, you just want to punch them in the face because whatever happens, they are they are joyful. Everything is the most exciting, enthusiastic thing that has ever happened. Um, just for example, two Corinthians one verse eight says, "For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself." Paul knows despair. Paul knows hardship, but overall. The theme throughout is this joy. So how do we live now with this future hope in mind, but still engaging with the reality of life in a fallen world? Well, verse 22 tells us, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So living now, for Paul, means fruitful labor. And A.W. Tozer says, When the followers of Jesus Christ lose their interest in heaven, they will no longer be happy Christians. And when they are no longer happy Christians, they cannot be a powerful force in a sad and sinful world. So we need to be having our, our focus, our joy on the future, enjoying Christ. But now we need to be a powerful force in a sad and sinful world. So now needs to be fruitful labor. Verse 25, we see the purpose of Paul's continued service is for progress, their progress, and joy in the faith. Paul wants what's best for the church, not for himself. He's not looking to, how can I live a fulfilled life? He's looking, how can I serve the church and see people come to know him? He's looking for for progress. He wants two things. He wants to tell others about Jesus, and he wants others to grow in Jesus. To tell others about Jesus and to grow in Jesus. He wants these things because his eyes are fixed on Jesus, and he wants to do what Jesus desires. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them everything that I have commanded. He wants people to know him, and he wants them to grow in him and grow in the truth. So we need to live day by day in this hope and to help others around us. And to to do this, we need to be looking forward, not backwards. We need to speak truth to ourselves and to others. It may be on those difficult, particularly Monday mornings at the start of term, which are the most difficult in the whole of the span of the year. Then we need to speak to ourselves. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We speak to ourselves. Why you cast down on my soul and remind of the, the truth, remind of the promises, remind of our future hope. Uh, truths like Romans eight I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So each day we can be confident in God of our salvation. We can be confident that nothing can separate us from God's love. This is how we can live in fruitful labor in relationship with him. To be building together a community of hope with others and sharing this hope with others around us. Just finally, before we close, we may think, Paul, you're in chains. How can you have a fruitful labor? How can you go about and do the works of the kingdom? Well, as we've already seen in uh, this series, Paul can be fruitful in prayer. Paul can be fruitful in preaching to the God. He has a God chain to him constantly, which changes every four hours. And through that, he was able to make the gospel known throughout the whole palace guard. He can have fruitful labor in, in writing letters. He can have fruitful labor in encouragement to others. And this is also true for us today. Whatever situation you are in, God can use you, and God will use you if you ask him to. We're not to discount ourselves because we're too old or too young or too busy or messed up too many times, or maybe you don't think you've got anything to give. You may think you're too shy or too loud. God can't possibly use you. Well, the truth is, this isn't your decision to make. We're to trust God. And if you think any of these things, you can be confident that the people throughout Scripture also thought the same. Abraham seemed too old. David seemed too young. Gideon seemed too timid. Samson too arrogant. But God used all of these people and more. You may think you're chained to one of these things or chained to a life situation. We're to listen to God's call. And to go in confidence, to respond. And it is a choice. It's a a choice to rejoice. It's a choice for fruitful labour. And as a church together, we're looking to advance, to move forward. Some of us considering we're going to go and be part of the the Ashley Road site, which will be starting in a few months' time. There's a a choice for for fruitful labour and going in faith. Those serving here at Alder Road, there's a choice for, for fresh vision and excitement for what is gonna, God is going to do amongst us. We can look back with thankfulness, but also look forward. We can look to the future in anticipation of what God has ahead of us, both now and into eternity. So as we close, we've been exploring Paul's dilemma. And as we go through, we realize that his focus is not primarily on life or death, but on Christ Jesus. His focus is not primarily on life or death, but on Christ Jesus. He's not caught up with the challenges of imprisonment. He's not fixated on exactly what will happen when Jesus will return. His focus is on Christ alone. And we can know today, to live is Christ. This is true both now and for all eternity. But to know Christ is eternal life. This is the antidote for any pain, any struggle, any hardship, any difficulty, any decision that we need to make. To live is Christ, to die is gain. This brings us joy in all things, whether in life or death. So our focus now as we seek to live, needs to be on Jesus, to enjoy Him, to follow His example a life of self-giving, of self-humbling, a self-sacrificial life. We're to go telling of his saving work. Jesus calls us a, a city on a hill. We are the light of the world. And this happens naturally as we look to Jesus, the light shines around as we focus on pleasing Jesus. We're to live each day in his unfailing grace and go in the power of God, confident that we have the power of prayer and the power of the Spirit with us. Everywhere we go, God is with us and goes ahead of us. So this morning we're to look to Jesus and know that we can know joy in each and every circumstance, whether in life or death. Amen? Amen. When we respond uh, to this, I invite you to stand.